Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome to episode 324 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you on a Friday evening into Saturday morning. And the Atlanta Braves lead the World Series 2-1 to one through three games, a pitching-dominant performance. We'll talk about it and uh, break it all down. And I'm joined by Scott Coleman. Hello, sir. What a game. What an atmosphere at Truist and in the battery. I mean, holy cow. Atlanta showed up tonight. Two wins away, man. Two wins, it's so close yet so far, uh, but just an awesome baseball game tonight, an all-time pitching performance from the staff, and man, a lot to talk about. For sure, and you know, clearly the pitching staff is the headliner on this night. I will just say this, as uh, I'm prone to talk about the history a little bit, even though I will acknowledge it doesn't really matter for this year, this was 26 years to the day since they won the title in 1995. Uh, that was also a one-hitter by the Braves that night. A little bit of synergy there, in addition to winning the title, a one hitter as it was uh, as it was for a lot of a lot of this game, uh, or actually it was another for a lot of this game. But that was also the last home win by the Braves in the World Series until tonight. So wow. lots of synergy coming into this particular victory. Doesn't mean anything, probably not, but it's still kind of cool to uh, set to sort of set out. And you know, the pitching staff was incredible. We'll talk about all of it, but they've now allowed two total runs in the two wins. And given that Houston is and was the number one offense in all of baseball. Yes, they scored seven runs in game two, but if you can get through two full games allowing two total runs, you're in pretty good shape against the Astros team. No, you're absolutely right. And really in game two, it wasn't like that second inning was them just launching balls 450 feet. I mean, we, we lament the soft contact and all of that, but so far through the first three games of the series, the pitching staff has been superb. Uh, you you cannot say enough about the big four in the bullpen and not just this series, but against the Brewers and against the Dodgers. Those four guys right now are, are on a different level, uh, just incredible stuff. And then an all-time pitching performance from Ian Anderson, I mean, five no-hit innings in his first World Series appearance in front of 40-plus thousand screaming people. Uh, he is he is early in his career, but he has certainly lived up to the billing of being a big big game pitcher and and what a moment for this team. Absolutely. So we'll, we'll dive in there. You know, clearly, this is not exactly the biggest like strategy game. There were a couple of things that we'll discuss, of course, headlined by Ian coming out of the game, which is probably the number one point of controversy along the way, if you even want to call it that. But we'll go to the beginning. Uh, and, you know, Anderson, if you, if you had told me that he was going to go uh, as long and as effectively as he did after the first few batters, I would have uh, not believed you because he had he walked two of the first three guys um, in this game and just was kind of missing all over the place really the entire night his secondary stuff 
was not its normal Chris self. Obviously, he had a couple of great pitches along the way. Ch- his changeup is always you know devastating. But uh, I believe Dusty Baker used the term effectively wild. Shouts to that podcast and that term um, for Anderson throughout the night. But uh, with no command early on, he managed to navigate all of that amid uh, the cheater, cheater chance for Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman in Atlanta, which was kind of funny to see. But, you know, they got through it. That was one of the bigger threats of the game in retrospect was the first inning. And uh, they navigated you know, even getting out of the inning facing Jordan Alvarez, who is, of course, the reigning ALCS MVP and probably their best hitter. That was a pivotal moment, it looked like. Yeah, I, I can only imagine what it was like for the pitchers tonight to try to grip that baseball. I mean, it was, what, upper 40s and a steady rain the entire night. Listen, um, it, it is miserable here. I know you live in Arizona. It is. It, it looked miserable. It was. It is miserable yeah. in Atlanta today. Like in terms of this is probably the worst weather that the, that the city has had on a single day in six months, maybe longer. Yeah. Like I, that's kind of hilarious timing. But truly, as an Atlanta <laughs> yeah. resident, it was. It's purely today. Yeah, naturally, right? First World Series uh, home game in twenty, however many years, and you have some nasty weather. But hey. Credit to Ian for battling through. Um, Effectively wild is the perfect way to describe him. Um, He is not someone tonight or in really his young career. He he is not someone who just pounds the strike zone. And he has some really good stuff. That changeup is so good. He he really didn't have much command um, of his slider earlier tonight. Uh, He just, you know, it's just coming out of his hand and Again, it was it was a wet ball. I can imagine what that's like. And as we know, this this Astros lineup is really dangerous. So for him to be able to, after that leadoff walk, get a double play, uh, which Dansby Swanson made a nice play to to turn as well. It was a little bit of an errant throw, and he did a nice toe tap at second to get the out and then throw it over. Uh, it was not the sharpest of first innings, and really he was it was kind of a, a predictor of what was going to come. But hey. Uh, you settle in nicely and and with the elements tonight, I don't think anyone would have blamed him if he, he didn't have full command. No. Yeah. I, he obviously settled in very well, as you just alluded to, you know, the Braves also, I guess, kind of uh, threatened um, in the first inning, at least briefly, but rally swung through a couple of fastballs and, uh, we were joking both online and offline about the pace of the game at the outset, um, which oh. seems funny now because this, this game actually ended before midnight, which was a, a massive upset after the first inning or two. But the, in particular, the first inning, which I think was like a 30 minute inning with no yeah. runs, uh, that's uh, it was not going quickly. And then suddenly it was like, you know, nobody scored runs, which definitely helped, but it was uh, breezier from there. Yeah. So we need to have a talk with Luis Garcia. That windup is absurd. Like, listen, he, listen <laughs> I honestly, I tweeted this out. Okay, so I can see both sides. It's sort of a non sequitur, but uh, I'm actually a fan of weird baseball. Like, I think it's actually kind of cool that a guy has that has that windup that is actually pretty good at baseball. With that said, it's the World Series, and it was it was hard to watch with the tension the way that it is yeah. at this level and how long it was taking him to throw a pitch. Yeah. It was it was hard to watch, even if I can kind of appreciate the weirdness of it. Yeah, no, he he looks. I mean, if you made the the screen black and white and all grainy, and said it was 1940, you would believe it with that that wind up he had. Um, and he he kept going to the uh, I don't know the official term, but the thing to get the mud out of your cleats. And again, I'm sure the mound was not in great shape with the consistent rain. But yeah, we were we were talking after the first inning or two. It's like, man, this game is going to end at one in the morning at this pace. Thankfully, with how well the Braves pitched the rest of the way, it didn't. Uh, last too too long uh but yes it was a slow start to the to the game it was uh fortunately or i guess unfortunately for the offense it was breezy on both ends from there anderson did settle in for a one two three inning in the second um darno 
hit a two out double off the wall. We'll come back to Darno later on, but uh, it was one of those times when you lament the lack of a DH in the second inning because uh, Darno hitting seventh in this game uh, with a two out double. And essentially you might have a 10% chance to score him because all you have to do is walk Swanson and you're facing a pitcher. And in the Braves case, Ian Anderson uh, for all of his strengths is a terrible hitter. Like a, even for a pitcher is a terrible hitter. So it just is a frustrating thing to realize that you have this, you know, kind of exciting two out double and you're, almost drawing dead despite it. I guess you cleared yeah. the, you cleared, you cleared the pitcher spot, which I guess is a positive, but that was kind of the only positive. Yeah, it is. It is the only positive there. You clear the pitcher and turn the lineup over, but I mean, it's, it's crazy. And we could have a full on discussion about the pros and <laughs> not maybe, <today>. maybe you're <laughs> con about the DH, but you're right. I mean, when Darno went to second, it was like, well, great. I mean, obviously he's going to go to second, but it's like, well, great. The inning is basically over because every manager on the planet is going to walk the eighth hitter to bring up Anderson. I mean, I guess if it was maybe like Max Freed, then you at least think about it for a moment or a, a different pitcher who hits a little better, but it was kind of deflating to have that mini rally go to the side, but Hey, that's, that's National League baseball. And that's the rule. <laughs> it is National League baseball. And yeah, I'm not a big intentional walk guy, but if there's ever an instance to do it, it's first base up with the pitcher spot up next uh, in a world series game in second inning where they're not going to pitch it for the guy. So uh, frustrating, but alas, uh, the Braves did, draw first blood and I guess only blood in this game, but Ian rounded in form with seven straight outs in the top of the third and the Braves did score in the bottom of the third. I will say, I will admit on this podcast, I had circled the third inning as a potential point of soreness. If the Braves had lost this game, because they should have scored more than one run. Um, they got one, which ended up being all they needed on a Austin Riley uh, double on the left field line. But Jorge Soler walked on the, on ball five is the way that I described it to load the bases with one out so bases little one out, you're supposed to get at least one more in there. And then Duvall popped up and Darno, who was the hero in this game, otherwise struck out there. And the Braves had stranded six guys through three innings. So, you know, you get some stuff going there with a Rosario walk and Freddie singles and the RBI double from Riley and you're winning, but certainly they could have been up, you know, two, nothing, three, nothing at that point, And they only went by one. Yeah. Thankfully it wasn't a moment that we had to go back and lament because they didn't score more. It was good to see Riley get a, a well-hit double down the line. He smoked that baseball. Um, he, of course, was so good earlier in the postseason, and he's been okay. Again, we, we've talked about him a little bit. Um, you know, he was just so good and so consistent on a nightly basis during the regular season. Um, and he's, he's had a couple of opportunities in the playoffs here. And, hey, he came through tonight in the third. It was really important to get at least one run. I mean, if, if they didn't score at all there, it would have been a nightmare. Um, and again, you know, it obviously didn't end up mattering in the end, but uh, yeah, to not get at least one more in there to make it two nothing with bases loaded and one out. Um, it was funny. It was John Smoltz being the grumpy old man that he is. Uh, <laughs> he was right there. Like uh, literally any, any kind of fly ball is going to score run. Um, even a, you know, the infield was back. So even as long as you don't just smoke a baseball right at an infielder, you're probably going to play to run as well. Um Again, it's it's all situational stuff, and I can only imagine what's going through the hitters' heads in that situation. Truist was going crazy. Uh, but, hey, they got a run, and that was more than enough tonight. Yeah, I will always be honest with the listener and uh, admit to what I am thinking in real time. That's one of the reasons why I took a ton of notes during these games, uh, not only to prep the podcast, but also just so I don't forget what I was thinking. And I, I was kind of uh, pins and needles after they didn't score more than one run in the inning. But, hey, it worked out. 
Um, oh, oh, one more thing on the third inning. This is kind of funny uh, just to say out loud, but there was a full discussion in my mentions about whether Freddie Freeman should have stole, should have stole home because, because of, <laughs> because of Garcia's windup. And yeah. I did mention on the broadcast, I think it was, I think it was supposed to the broadcast brought it up too. And listen, uh, I'm all for the weird. Uh, and I even said, if that had been Dansby or Ozzy on third base, uh, maybe they would have thought about it because Garcia was throwing from the windup. And his windup, as we talked about earlier, takes forever. But with Freddie on third, I, I just don't think that's ever going to happen. It was a funny hypothetical, but uh, a World Series game. Can you imagine a scenario where Freddie Freeman, he of the fleet of foot, he is kind of fast for a guy his size, but not obviously very fast overall. If he tried to steal home, I would have lost my mind. It would have been great. And when Fox kept showing the angle kind of from the upper first base side during that whole scenario. They wanted it. I was, so bad. Yeah, I was trying to, uh, <laughs> I was trying to time it out in my head a little bit. I'm like, okay, if he took off as soon as he began his, you know, 20 second windup, where would Freddie be? Uh, it, it did cross my mind. You're right. I think if it was maybe a, a faster runner, they could have at least thought about it. Maybe when there were two outs, uh, you probably don't want to do that with one out when Duvall was up there, but yes, it was a funny moment. And, Clearly, uh, John Smoltz wanted something to happen there because they kept going to it. And it's like, is, is he going to go? Is he going to try to steal? Is Freddie Freeman going to try to um, steal home in the World Series? I, I don't know. It would have been fun. It, it couldn't have been worse than how that inning ended, unfortunately. Uh, yeah. I mean, obviously, in retrospect, it would have been uh, better to send him to try to score uh, from third base. Uh, YOLO. But can you imagine? Yolo. I mean, I, I just cannot imagine the reactions <laughs> If Freddie Freeman tried to steal home in a World Series game, it just would have been incredible. By the way, Freddie Freeman is a 48th percentile sprint speed guy on huh. StatCast. So he gets around for being not, not as old, slow as you would think, honestly. Yeah, but for not, being an not old man. Yeah, old man at the age of 31. He can get around a little bit. Yeah, middle of the pack, average. Um, anyway, uh, Anderson continued to pitch pretty well. Um, still, he actually had a walk and a hit by pitch back to back to invite some danger in the fourth inning. Got out of that, though, on a swinging butt by Kyle Tucker. Um, notably, that's when the no-hitter chatter began, which we don't have to talk about a ton, but he did, he did have a no-hitter at that point through four innings. Um, and in contrast, Garcia for the Astros came out of the game after three and two-thirds. He actually was losing velocity, which I think people kind of – I'm not even sure it came up on the broadcast, but he was uh, – if you look at the stat cast stuff, he was throwing um, notably softer than he was earlier in the game. But other than Eddie Rosario piece of hitting that was insane, he had a single that was at his eyeball again. Eddie Rosario is just out of his mind still. Yeah. Um, other than that, it was kind of uh, uneventful really throughout the fifth inning even because the shift kind of saved the no-hitter in my, in my view in the fifth inning for Ian Anderson. But there was a walk by Solaire. The Braves had stranded nine guys through five innings. But through five, there wasn't a ton of action. It was like some minor threats along the way. Um, I guess the big point of conversation at that point was what happens with Ian Anderson. So yeah. we'll set it all up. Um, Anderson had an active no-hitter <laughs> when he was pulled after five, which in my mind, it doesn't matter at all. There was a 0.0% chance of him ever throwing a no-hitter in this game with the pitch count that he was on. It just was never happening. So I, I know it sounds funnier and crazier to say he got pulled with a no-hitter, but I think you agree with me. Uh, I, I yeah. cannot imagine a scenario where he would have thrown a no-hitter in this game. So it wouldn't matter. Yeah, it, look, I mean, sure. Would it be incredible for Ian Anderson to throw the first World Series no-hitter in like 80 years Since or something Don like Larson in 56? Yeah. Yeah, like, yes, it would be amazing. Um, but as we know, playoffs are a different game. I believe the Astros lineup was going to be up for the third time 
in yeah. the sixth. And it was, top, and it was the top of the order, top of the order, third time through. And as we talked about earlier, it wasn't like, Ian, I know Ian had a no hitter. It wasn't like he had his, his absolute best. Like he threw 39 strikes on 76 pitches. He was mm-hmm. not super duper crisp. So, you know, if you want to make it sound a certain way, you could say, you know, Ian Anderson was throwing a no hitter through five, or you could actually have watched the game <laughs> and he was not quite uh, on the level that you might think there, but yeah, it was kind of the perfect storm, honestly, for the discussion because of the fact that third time for the order splits, which, which we talked about a million times on the podcast, the Astros lineup, um, a, a stocked bullpen for the Braves that had not pitched in two days, all that stuff kind of went into this one, but yeah, I mean, the Sage was kind of set for the, uh, the ultimate conversation uh, shades of Blake smell, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Look, in all of these Braves wins over the last couple of weeks, the formula is very obvious. I mean, it's it's get five or six innings out of your starter and then give the ball to, in some order, A.J. Minter, Luke Jackson, Tyler Matzik, and Will Smith. And it's working. And sure, if Anderson was just absolutely cruising, and I, I didn't catch the velocity dip either. I'm sure the, the dugout caught that a little bit. And look, I'm sure that Ian was a little worn out too. Uh, those are high stress pitches, right? It's one thing if you're pulling a guy at 75 pitches in the middle of a start in June and you're like, okay, that's a little weird. He could have gone one, maybe two more. Um, every single pitch in the World Series is very high stress. Uh, so I'd imagine he was wearing down a little bit. Um, and then, hey, get the ball to the bullpen guys. As you said, they weren't used in game two. So it's not like this was the third night in a row they've been heavily relied on. Get the ball to those guys and, and, hopefully prosper and all four of them brought it tonight. Um, so yeah, in the moment I was like, yeah, this is probably the right call. And Ian gets a well-deserved break and let's hope they don't have to give him the ball again in game seven. Um, but if you do, then the upside is, is that he didn't have to go 110 pitches or something crazy. And you're worried about a dead arm or something uh, along those lines. Right. There's all the factors in play. I mean, even something that I didn't even think about until after I saw it, I think it was uh, I don't know, somebody sparred on Twitter. Anderson had also, you know, he's thrown more, more innings this season than he's ever had in his career by a lot. And last year he threw 32 innings in the record season, and this year is 128. Um, like, not that he was just going to be you know, worn down and couldn't pitch in the sixth, but there are a number of factors in play. And Snicker, I think to his credit, in my mind, said pregame that he was not going to take the future into account. He was going to treat this game like it was a World Series game, basically, and not worry about his bullpen the next two nights. And I think that's uh, the right thing to do. Obviously, there is an argument for giving Anderson another inning. And I said this in the, t- in the moment, and I mean it. I don't really have strong feelings either way. I-, I think if you made me choose, I would have leaned to taking him out probably. But if he if he goes out there in the sixth inning and faces Altuve, I would not have been bothered by that at all. I think that would have been totally reasonable with a short leash. You know, clearly you, you don't put him back out there and have him, you know, basically, you know, just dying on the vine. But if he goes out there and throws another, you know, spotless inning, that would have been totally fine with me. It was the top of the order, which I think did not get in quite enough play um, in the discussion because of the, you know, both because the Astros are awesome and because of the top of the order splits and all that stuff their time. But yeah, I, I think it was a close decision. I think acting like it was a no brainer either way is kind of where I, where you lose me honestly on this one. And uh, I would have leaned to taking him out. I was totally fine with it. Clearly it worked. I'm, I'm, I'm glad it worked for a number of reasons, but I'm also glad that it worked for the, for the discussion. It would have driven yeah. me absolutely mad if it didn't work. If Mitra <laughs> comes in and just like you know, gives, a, gives, up, gives up a run or whatever, and it doesn't suddenly mean that it was the wrong decision, even though it would have been the wrong decision, quote unquote. So I'm glad it worked out for all the reasons. Winning, yeah, as they say in the end, winning heals all. And 
thank goodness they won because you can absolutely guarantee that would have been discussed nonstop over the next, I don't know, 22 hours until game four. Starts. Oh, I, th- I thought you were going to say 22 years because it would have been. Oh. <laughs> Maybe it would have. I don't know. It's it, There's been some bad moments for this organization over the last, you know, however many years. Um, over, the, over the last my, my entire life. Yes, that's true. Uh, <laughs> yes, no, uh, yeah, I'm, we can leave it there. But, you know, Minter looked great when he came in as he has the entire playoffs, really. He gave up a run, uh, not a run, gave up a base runner. He actually hit Alex Bregman in the ankle with a pitch. Um, oh. There was a moment I, uh, yeah, where I, I thought Bregman might be done. That looked yeah, bad. I mean, that was hit him clear on the spot run. where, yeah, there was no place to, no padding there. And there was a funny moment um, after it was clear that he was okay. It was at first base. Minter threw over like he was going to run, <laughs> which was hysterical to like everyone. Yes. I mean, even Smoltz was laughing. Like, I'm not sure if it was, just, was was a troll by AJ or what, but he he threw to first. I think, um, I think too, if you watch it back, uh, they had to cut the on-field mic. I am sure that Bregman said a bad word or two as oh, he was maybe. going back. Yeah, it wouldn't be surprising. Um, you can only imagine what that ankle bone feels like. I said, I don't think I'd walk for a month, uh, you know, moments after taking a hard cutter to your ankle bone and it's 45 degrees and you're trying to, I'm sure he had no feeling in his foot. Um, it was funny. I wonder, um, I believe AJ and, and Bregman are both, from texas or had some connection during their college days i wonder if their buddies and, and mentor was just messing with them a little bit um but yes that was a that was a hilarious moment that was very very funny by uh, everybody involved uh other than that he was awesome struck out alvarez to end the inning mentor by the way has a 39 percent strikeout rate in the playoffs which would have been like a league league leading figure like he's been ridiculous yeah, he's, he's a bad dude um yeah so Offensively quiet from there. A nice catch by Kyle Tucker of the Astros. Uh, that was a heck of a play by him to preserve the uh, quiet inning in the sixth inning. Um, they go to Luke Jackson, which we are pro Luke on this podcast. He comes in. They follow the plan to a T. He gave up one rocket to, to Tucker, but nothing else. And the Braves had still allowed no hits through seven. Uh, it was the first time that a World Series team had allowed no hits through seven since 1967, mm. which is a long, long time ago before you and I were even thought of. Um, I so was, that's notable. <laughs> yeah. I was decently surprised by all of that. Like, I mean, obviously they play the world series every year and baseball being what it is. Like I was surprised at some of the long standing records of no hits or no runs and, and all of those things. I don't know. Were you, did that catch you by surprise? I mean, that's a 1967 is a long time ago. A little bit, I would say. I mean, I know it was like I was seeing all the stats flying. Yeah, I guess if you just do the math on it, like how many games that is, yeah. I guess it's not that surprising just because even, you know, you figure the World Series average is, you know, six games probably, five, six games, something like yeah. that yeah. per series. And you do the math on that times, you know, 55-ish years. You know, that's not that crazy. But at the same time, you know, it just feels like so long ago. So I, I kind of get it on both sides. Um, and all it takes is one little bloop or dunk somewhere. And, and all of a sudden, well, as we, as we saw tonight, I mean, that's, <laughs> right. that's kind of a good example yes. of what, yeah. of what it is. And also, you know, you're also facing the best offenses usually in the league. Now, granted, you could say the best pitching staffs are also pitching. Um, but I don't know. I think more, uh, I guess, I'm not sure it's more an offensive environment, but as everyone's always want to say when they are yelling about the shift or whatever, maybe guys shorten up in the playoffs more, more often and uh, look for little edges and, you know, bunt singles and that kind of stuff. Maybe that can, um, yeah. I don't know. We're all guessing, but uh, <laughs> some pretty impressive stuff, even if I don't really care too much about the no hitter stuff, they didn't, they weren't able to close it out because of uh, what transpired 
uh, in the eighth. Uh, let's just do this now. So the no-hitter dies with the leadoff man against Tyler Matzik. Tyler Matzik has been incredible. And fittingly or not fittingly or hilariously, however you want to describe this, it was a 70.7-mile-an-hour flare to left field that fell in between Eddie Rosario and Dansby Swanson. A very weird play, especially when they, you know, I, I saw so many replays. I'm sure you did too. Rosario just kind of like weirdly looked down and hesitated while running. Dansby's like still running back to the ball. Uh, Rosario, it looked like on first blush and then even on all the replays, like if he had dove, he could have caught it. And the catch probability on stack cast was 85%. So all those factors in play, I mean, I don't know. I'm not sure who to blame. People were asking like whose fault this was. It's like, well, kind of everybody's fault. Days we didn't get out of the way. Rosario hesitated, and it was also just kind of well placed. I don't know. It was just yeah. a, one of those things that happens in baseball. It was one of those hits. It was like if this really is the ball that breaks the dam tonight, like give me a break. Um, oh yeah, I thought it, I thought that for sure. Oh, I think it's natural as a fan. You go to the darkest place possible and go, oh boy, here we go. Um, yeah, I mean, again, it's easy for you and I or somebody at home to to say who was in the right or who was in the wrong. I mean, to me, it looked like Rosario obviously knew that Dansby was charging backwards towards his direction. And, you know, it's a ball that Rosario needs to call. Now it's easy again to say that when you're not trying to hear somebody on a dead sprint in front of 40,000 people. Um, I, I think it was a ball that Rosario needs to call and Dansby needs to get out of the way on. But again, it's a lot easier said than done. Um, thank goodness it, it, it didn't lead to a run for Houston. It was, of course, their first hit of the night. Um, and things got a little dicey in that inning. And, and again, as we've talked about a couple of innings here, thankfully it was not the, the beginning of the end. Um, but yeah, just a, a little bit of a sloppy defensive play, I think. It was. And it was still one nothing at that point. And the Astros also had this weird thing where Dusty Pinch ran in the middle of it at bat. It was 1-0, and they threw out a pinch runner there, like almost – in gamesmanship fashion, like it took forever. Yep. It was a delay, like maybe trying to throw off Matzik. Um, and, you know, he threw a fastball by Castro for a strikeout. I got Altuve to pop up, but there was a stolen, there was a stolen base in there. Um, a poor throw by Darno for sure, but Dansby probably should have caught it um, on his scoop. And then even Adam Duvall was like the least culpable, but didn't back it up all that well in center field. So that all happens to get a runner to third base. And, it didn't matter because Tyler Matzik's out of his mind, but that's one of those sequences too, where you know, that runner going from first to third on an errant throw and catch can burn you in a one-one game, and it just kind of didn't in this game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it was a it was a little bit of a short hop. I thought that at the very least, Dansby. I don't know if they would have had him if Dansby fielded the throw. I think not. Honestly, watching it, it, it would have been close yeah. at least. I mean, you never know how the glove. You're catching a well-thrown baseball, so just gravity is going to naturally pull your glove back a little bit. So I don't know if you would have had him or not. Um, but again, you're, you're going through worst case scenario and it's like, uh, it's, it's, it's a one run game at that point. It's still one, nothing. Um, and thank goodness Tyler Matzik came back and got that final out uh, <laughs> to get it to the ninth, because again, you just cannot sing Tyler's praises enough. Uh, but things did get really for the first time in, I don't know, four innings. Uh, things in the eighth got a little dicey. I think everybody's heart rate elevated for, for a couple minutes there. But um, again, you just Tyler Matzik, what a, what a story. Yeah. It's actually crazy to think this, um, but Matzik has the worst ERA of those four guys in the playoffs. 
because he had that one, uh, I think he gave up two runs in one, one outing um, when he just didn't have it that one time. But his ERA is like in the mid threes where like it feels like his ERA is zero. <laughs> like it feels like he's unhittable right now. Um, knock on wood, yeah. of course. But, uh, <laughs> right. you know, Luke Jackson, uh, Luke Jackson's ERA is, is zero, which is very funny because um, he had the blow up in the Dodgers series, but Matzik bailed him out. So his ERA is zero. Isn't that funny? Um, that's, huh. that's, that's the way things work in baseball. Elite Luke Jackson. Uh, no, Luke was great. Honestly, we kind of bree- we kind of breezed past that, but Luke was very good in this game. He was. Other than, and he admitted this in the game six uh, post game interview that just over the last couple of years, the Dodgers clearly have a, a read on Luke. Like something. I don't know if he's yeah. tipping a pitch or, or whatever it is, but his numbers against LA have been terrible. But he was really really good against the Brewers and uh, and even against the Dodgers. Like that that ball that Cody Bellinger hit out that was at his nose. Like that, that was not a bad pitch. <laughs> no. um, and the the ball that AJ Pollock dumped down the line was like a foot inside. Um, yeah, good for Luke. He uh, he seems like a really good, genuine guy. He is part of the Burgundy Boys. Oh Did yeah, you, uh, Burgundy Boys. That was just a a tremendous po- uh, video segment. If you haven't seen that, um, it was one of the local reporters. I, I forget her name or what station she was I think was it was Mar- was it Maria Martin? I think it was. I think that it was, sounds it was right. Martin. That yeah, yeah, you would I'm I am not obviously you're <laughs> very not familiar. Yeah, yeah, I'm not a local. Um, but if you did not see it's a two or three minute package on uh the self-proclaimed Burgundy boys, Eddie Perez, uh Tyler Matt, or no, I'm sorry, Luke Jackson, Ian Anderson, and Jock Peterson, who apparently kind of snuck into the Burgundy Boys Club where they enjoy a nice <laughs> bottle of wine after wins. Um, yes, go watch that story. It is tremendous. Yeah. Um, between that and Tyler Massett calling the bullpen the night shift tonight, which, yes. was, which we I know, you, I know you thoroughly enjoy. You're the one that's been on my radar. I actually, as soon as the game ended, I, I kind of started scrambling into podcast mode and you saw yeah. this. I didn't, but I watched it after the fact. Uh, Matzik using the night shift um, mm. to, to, refer, to reference the bullpen is just fantastic stuff. Yeah, the boys um, are ready. They are ready. <laughs> the, the night shift's ready. Um, okay, so the, the insurance run, which I think made everybody feel better, uh, to say the least, happens in the, in the bottom of the eighth. Travis Darno who has had a weird playoffs, uh, hits a two-out home run, uh, his first home run of the season at Truist Park, which is insane. Obviously, he missed a bunch of time this year, which is worth noting, but wow. first home run of the season at Truist for – I missed that. That's crazy. I see it in your – Yeah. thank goodness your, for your podcast notes. I completely missed that. It happened. Uh, I, I checked it twice. It's true. Uh, also, it was huh. mashed 437 feet. That ball yeah. was crushed. Yeah. Uh, his hardest hit ball of the season by StatCast – and also the hardest hit ball that Kendall Graveman, the pitcher, allowed all season long. So a lot, lots mm. of fun facts on that one. It's we, we made fun of this, you and I, on our last podcast. But Eric and I, after uh, after I believe it was what, game one, um, lamented how kind of not great Darno has been. Uh, ever since then, he's been out of his mind. So you're welcome, everyone. Yeah. But he is a uh, six of fifteen with two home runs and a double um, in the last fifteen plate appearances. And before that. Uh, in the playoffs, before that little stretch, he had a 179 slugging percentage in the first, like, I don't know, almost two full series. So mm-hmm. hot and cold from Travis, but a good night for him. Not only the home run, but he had a double early on, and he just was uh, lights out. And that that run, I know we are uh, Will Smith defenders, at least I am uh, on some level, <laughs> but having the extra run there was uh, was quite nice. Oh, it's, it's everything. Um, yeah, I tweeted this out. And again, who knows where this story is going to end, but 
the way that the Braves have continued to have different guys step up every single night in their wins really is remarkable. And Travis was mostly invisible against the Brewers and the Dodgers. And what does he do? But he hits a, what was a game tying home run in game two early on. And then a huge insurance run. You're right. I mean, yes, you're up one, nothing, but regard, I mean, you could have prime John Smoltz as your closer one run lead in the world series. Nobody feels good about that. Like <laughs> even if Mariano Rivera's Rivera's coming out of that, that bullpen, no one loves a one run lead. Things get weird in baseball in a hurry. You make one mistake and all of a sudden the game's tied. So for Travis to come up, I mean, that ball was crushed. Uh, we've been in truest for what, five years now. Um, you can probably count on one hand, the number of baseballs that have gone into like that alleyway and dead center field. Um, what a moment. Yeah. Crush the ball. Um, engraveman is really, really good. He, he has kind of a backing up splitter, I think is what he would probably call it. Um, and he threw a fastball to Travis and he adjusted and just smoked it and just a huge insurance run there. Yeah, kudos to Travis Darno. Uh, the two offensive heroes in this game were Riley, of course, on the first run, and then Darno on both the double and the homer. So um, credit to those guys. And then uh, in the ninth, it is Will Smith time, as everyone expects. We had this kind of funny slack back and forth, um, kind of joking about how we'd all like to kind of see Matzik stay in for the ninth inning, but also knowing full well that was not going to happen because <laughs> uh, Will Smith is the guy. We, uh, we, always, we always defend Will Smith. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, he gives up the, the shift beating single by Alex Bregman. And then here comes the, the doomsday because of the shift discourse and everything else. But, uh, he settles in from there, gets a pop-up actually threw a pretty terrible pitch to Carlos Correa. It was a hanging curveball that everyone was like, Whoa, that was not what you wanted to see there, <laughs> but he missed it. He flies out to right. And, uh, I will say this Will Smith's ERA in the playoffs, Scott is currently Zero point. Oh, you better be knocking on some wood right now, Bradley. Listen, I always do that, but and, and I'm not going to jinx. I am not. You know what? I am anti-jinx. Nothing yeah. I am going to say is going to be <laughs> yeah. uh, But obviously, we're just uh, reporting the results here, folks. But Will Smith, right. nine playoff innings, seven base runners. So not like it's been incredibly clean the entire way, but a sub one whip and no runs. Yeah, you know that that leadoff single from Bregman was a good piece of hitting. Um, he just threw his bat out. It was 3-1. So uh, as we have seen, uh, obviously, like most pitchers, but especially for Will Smith, he is much better when he is ahead in the count, or at least it feels that way. Um, but yeah, I mean, to get to get Alvarez, who uh, terrifies everyone, I mean, he is a big, big man. Um, and you're right. I mean, the Correa hanging curveball was uh, – I thought Correa got more of it live. I thought it was going in the gap. Um, Again, thankfully, because you have that two-run lead, it's not like it would have tied the game or anything like that. And Duvall made a nice play in right center field to track it down. Um, and that brought up Kyle Tucker, who he just kind of scares me. I mean, he had a great game in one and two, and he has a little bit of uh, Corey Seager to his game where he just I, – I hold my breath every time he comes up. But uh, he, got, he got Tucker to fly out, and thank goodness it was a, a clean ninth inning. As you said, Will Smith has been good this entire playoffs, and – Two wins away. It's crazy to say, Brad. I don't think anyone on the planet <laughs> who is a Braves fan really expected on, as we're recording this on, you know, October 30th, that the Atlanta Braves be two wins away from a World Series. 
just a, a crazy game tonight. A lot of good drama, but just some outstanding pitching from the pitching staff and some timely hitting and they made it hold up. Yeah, I thought you were going to make a joke about how nobody predicted that Will Smith would have a zero ERA in the playoffs. But uh, instead, we will uh, leave uh, leave that there for now. Um, Never in doubt. <laughs> we'll come back in a second with some final thoughts from this game. And we'll also look ahead to game four and beyond. But first, a word from our sponsors on the show today. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Scott. Before we move on to game four and beyond, uh, one final kudos to Ian Anderson and the bullpen. We talked about it at length, but Ian now has had eight playoff starts in his career. He has thrown extremely well, obviously. He's not allowed a single run in five of those eight starts, which is wild. He entered this night with a 1.47 career ERA in the playoffs, and it went down, which tells you how good he was in terms of the results anyway. Uh, he has a 1.26 ERA in his playoff career across eight starts, which is the fourth lowest wow. ever in the history of baseball for your first eight starts in the playoffs. And I don't know if you know this, Scott, baseball's been happening for a long time. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. that works, I guess. Just, I mean, I'm glad that Ian has gotten some national recognition too, because last year, let's be honest, last year's playoffs were just weird, right? No one was in the stands, or I guess for those – games in Texas. There were a few fans there, but um, it was just a weird situation as we all know, but the way that he has pitched this October and last um, Eric Steven, who runs uh, true blue LA, the Dodgers site noted that like what the Dodgers did, which was just get a couple of runs off of Ian feels like a miracle based on how he's pitched the rest of the playoffs. Um, He was, I mean, again, you just talk about he's what 24 years old uh, for him to do that in that moment biggest start of his life, just jam-packed Truist Park. Uh, you, you just cannot sing his praises enough and how impressive he was. He really was. Uh, and, you know, hands it off to the bullpen. Um, or, or some wanted, I know. Uh, there was the controversy. But um, the bullpen, four scoreless innings, two hits, no walks, three, three strikeouts, and it was the four guys you trust. We joked about it, but Snicker seemed to trust four guys, and they pitched in order, and they pitched great. And that works. And then even off, off, offensively, it wasn't like, like they lit, lit it up today, but every starter got on base at least once. Um, Darno and Riley were the heroes, but it was it was balanced again. There was some yeah. ugly at-bats along the way, but they did enough. I, I don't think that um, – I, if I can play pessimist for one second, I don't, I don't think that scoring two runs is going to win all that many games the rest of the series, but mm-hmm. it, was, it was enough in this game, and now they're up 2-1, which is all that really matters. I mean – Ultimately, baseball is the is the large sample size sport in a, so many ways. We talk about process, and then you get in the playoffs, and all that actually matters is this small sample. And right now, they're up two one. So there you go. Hey, yep, you get it in the barn. That's two wins. Um, it's worth noting too. Of course, it didn't lead to any offense for the Braves, but uh, they did hit some hard and well struck baseballs just right at people, especially yep. in the later innings. Like Jorge Soler smoked one 
He always does. Um, at Korea, <laughs> yeah, that's all. either. Yeah, uh, truly. Uh, he smoked one at Korea who was shifted. Uh, that should have been a hit. I think Adam Duvall also just smacked one at maybe Bregman at third, and, and it wasn't, uh, you know, just down a glove. So you're right. I mean, despite the two runs, it wasn't like they couldn't get anything going. They had a lot of base runners. I thought they worked the count pretty well tonight. I think in game two, they were a little over aggressive. Um, although I guess you could counter that uh, the way the Astros were throwing strikes in game two, maybe, uh, you know, maybe it's, it's the reason why they were being aggressive, but um, hopefully, as you said, I mean, two runs most nights is not going to win you the game, but Hey, it was more than enough tonight. You get the second win of the series down and uh, you've less than 24 hours. And we'll be right back at it for game four. Yeah, a quick turnaround for sure. Uh, and speaking of game four, pitching is going to be under microscope on both sides. You know, there's been a ton of talk about the Braves having these bullpen games, and it's true. They have these two bullpen games scheduled, but the Astros kind of do as well, um, which kind of hasn't talked about quite as much. I know we're obviously in an Atlanta bubble to some extent with our discussions, but um, the Braves, at least Brian Snicker, did not want to name his starter slash opener. And he did kind of indicate it was going to be an opener for game four, which is not a huge surprise. They're not going to really have a full-blown starter. He wouldn't say who it was. Um, obviously there are some candidates. They've used Jesse Chavez as an opener uh, a few times. And if it's a true opener, it probably would be Chavez or something something like that. They'd also use mentor in that role at, at you know, last season. They have the guys who are going to go a, bit lo- a little bit longer with Kyle Wright and Drew Smiley, Tucker Davidson, but, you know, who knows? He did uh, he did reference an opener. So if it's actually a true opener, maybe it's Chavez. Um, but on the Astros side, Zach Greinke, a potential future Hall of Famer, is pitching. But Zach Greinke has been terrible for a while. Um, his last six starts, he's an 11.21 ERA. That's not a joke. 11.21. He's allowed 22 earned runs in the last 17 and two-thirds innings. So yeah. he's capable of throwing well, but also he's not, like, super stretched out either. Um, Dusty Baker talked about tonight – as we're recording, how about how they don't know how long he can go. So even if he does have it for some, you know, he finds it, he might go three or four innings max. He's not going to throw seven innings tomorrow. It's not no. happening. So it's kind of a bullpen game on both sides. I'm not sure who that really benefits. I think it probably benefits the Braves slightly, um, but who knows, quite honestly. Um, do you have thoughts on what the Braves should do with their pitching staff next two nights? No, it, to be clear, look, the next 18 innings are going to be covered by the Braves bullpen, which is crazy. But I know that's also very much on brand for modern baseball, and especially in the playoffs. It's not the old days of a uh, bullpen game. They have, they have no chance. As we've seen, they've been successful with bullpen games. I would argue in the Dodgers series, the Dodgers' most effective games were when they went bullpen. Um, so I think it's, it's an opportunity for some of these guys to step up. Obviously, for the most part, the important innings in these playoffs have been covered by the big four, uh, you obviously need to rely on more than four guys to cover 18 innings the next two nights. Um, as far as a preference on who would open, I'm not sure. Um, I, I think they they probably trust Jesse Chavez as a veteran. I don't know if they would necessarily hand the ball to a Tucker Davidson or a Kyle Wright in the first, just with, with the situation being what it is. Maybe they will. I don't know. Um, they could give it to, to AJ Minter, though they might want to hold Minter for a later inning. But as we know, um, Minter has opened a game last year. Famously, he opened one up against the Dodgers and was really, really good across three innings, I believe. Uh, so we'll see what they do. It, it, they certainly have some options. Um, 
And uh, yeah, strap in. You're right. Zach Greinke <laughs> is not is not the same guy that he was like six years ago. He is not very good. No, you'll you'll see you'll see the name, and it might look funny to see Greinke versus whoever um, for the Braves, and a you know a casual baseball fan might just know who Zach Greinke is and. Hmm. Honestly, Zach Greinke at one point was incredible, so that's not a oh, shot yeah. at him. It's just he's not that guy anymore. So he's capable, I guess, of finding it and pitching well tomorrow. But even then, I think all indications are he won't be able to go very deep in the game. So it, it might be one of those situations for Dusty Baker in Houston where uh, Jacob Odorizzi, who yeah. um, is, is a well-known veteran, he pitched well in game one. Um, it might be one of those, quite honestly, where Grinky is the starter, but Odorizzi is like is the, is warmed up. Like, yeah. yeah. Like seriously, he's <laughs> Grinky throws the first pitch and Odorizzi might even warm up pregame. I mean, the thing is, if you think about it this way, if they want to get anything from Zach Grinky in the series and he's on the roster, um, yeah. they're not going to bring him off out of the bullpen. So no. perhaps what you're saying is, you know, and I, I agree with you, like you want him to prepare like a starter because that's what he's done his entire life. But it might be try to get six outs from Zach Grinky, something like that. Um and, you know, through that lens, you don't want to refer to him as an opener, but he kind of, he kind of is one in this instance, as strange as that might sound. So anyway, I, I don't think there's a huge – I do think on one hand, it does seem like it could be a negative just perception-wise for the Braves to take a step back. But if you look a little bit closer, I don't think it is. I think the bullpen game has gotten a lot of attention, and it should. You know, they have to now navigate this. And um, in a national ballpark, you got to you got to th- think about who you're going to hit for and all that stuff. There's lots of layers in place here. There's a lot of managing that's going to happen the next two days, which can be kind of scary. But um, just keep in mind, and if anybody throws honestly, if anybody throws enough to where you want to hit, have them hit for themselves, it's probably a good problem. That means they're pitching well. <laughs> so yeah. uh, m- most guys are not going to go very long the next couple of days, uh, and you'll see. I, I mean, Matzik was asked by Ken Rosenthal in an interview we talked about earlier about like his availability and he kind of like looked at him like he was crazy. Like, no, nah, he's going to, yeah, well, he'll have the ball. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, look, we have at most, we have four games left this baseball season. Um, obviously you need to protect players and not put them in a situation. There is one off, day. To, one off day <laughs> to hurt themselves. Right. I mean, you have four games left, you have one day off um, and then you have four and a half to five months to recover and, and get back to hundred percent. So yeah, I get why 10 Rosenthal asked the question, but yes, everyone is available um we'll see it's going to be high stress i mean the beauty of a starter going five or six innings is you're not living and dying quite as much uh knowing that things can drastically change and somebody always warming up in the bullpen is a little i don't know offsetting uh but again hey it's the world series man everyone's available everyone has to be ready to go at a moment's notice and we will see uh who gets the ball and and not only game four but game five as well yeah, and going back to what Snickers said about this game, yes, you have to at least consider game five in your preparations, but you're still trying to win the game in front of you. Like, you can't get too carried away yep. with trying to save somebody for the next day. Um, so I think that he'll treat it like it's a wildcard game tomorrow, basically, and just think about it like that. You you don't want to lose this yeah. one. Give them hope and even the series. And, guys, I, you know, I would imagine – Every if it's a close game, I I would think that everybody pitches in terms yeah. of the guys you trust. Um, and if you end up working them a lot, like if Minter throws two and two thirds tomorrow, he may not be available the next day. That's sure. that's possible. But in terms of tomorrow's game, nobody threw enough today after coming off an off day to be unavailable tomorrow. I think yeah. everyone's going to pitch. So. You're absolutely right, and you need to manage game four like it's game seven. 
I think. Yeah, I think so too. Because if you can go up 3-1 in the series, then all bets are off. I mean, then you have the benefit of if in game five, again, you, you want to manage every game like you're trying to win. But if you can go up 3-1 tomorrow, knowing that you have Max Freed, even if he has not been super efi- uh, efficient the last couple starts, and Ian Anderson lined up for a potential game six and game seven, like, look, you only need to win four games and the World Series is yours. Um, I would hope that he manages tomorrow like it's a absolute must win. Everyone should be available. And then you you figure out a plan in game five. I mean, hopefully you win on Saturday night. And then if you have to have Kyle Wright throw three innings on Sunday evening, just kind of regardless of what happens, um, so be it. Or Tucker yep. Davidson or whoever it is. You do have three um, guys that can do it. I mean, yeah. even if you don't love those options, you have Wright, Davidson, and Smiley who can all throw multiple innings. Yes. So if you have to just eat innings, you got to do that. But I, I totally agree with you. Push, push, the chip, push the chips in tomorrow. And yeah, if you get if you get down six nothing, sure. In, in the third, no, don't don't pitch AJ Minter two and two thirds innings if you're down <laughs> six runs. But right, if it's a close game or if you're winning by two or three runs, try to win the game. Push the yeah. foot, push the foot to the floor and uh, handle it that way. Um, all right, that's enough on game four, I think. But uh, big picture, obviously, the Braves now are the favorites in the series, leading two to one both in the betting market and projection systems and also just common sense overall. Um, this is a stat from MLB.com. In every baseball series, best of seven, all time, that was one-to-one, the winner of game three, so basically a team that's leading 2-1 in a series, has won 69% of the time, a very nice figure. Nice. Um, that, that is in line with the projection systems as well. 538 is at 72% for the Braves. Fangraph's a little bit lower, 64.2%, but still a solid favorite there. I looked at a couple of betting markets as, as we we're talking. They're basically in that two-thirds range, like Braves, like minus 180, if you are prone to caring about that. So essentially, at, even no matter what you thought about the series after, after two games, I think everyone would agree the Braves are the favorite now because the Astros would have to win three of the last four games. And that is a tall task. Even if you think they're the better team, and I don't necessarily think it's true, we, we picked the Braves in the series – even if you thought the Braves were not the better team, if you lead 2-1 in the baseball series, you are the favorite unless you are a lot worse than the opposition, which we don't think they are. So <laughs> a pretty good situation. Uh, nothing is assured by any means. If you lose tomorrow, uh, or I guess today as you're listening to this, as, as we're recording this, if you lose on Saturday, you know, we're back to Quibble territory. But if you win, you know, it takes for itself. Uh, 3-1 lead is also not foolproof, but you become like an 80% favorite if you win the game tomorrow. So Anything that you want to add? I mean, I assume you're still picking the Braves. We've picked the Braves before the <laughs> series. Uh, I'm yeah. sticking with that, obviously. I hope it doesn't go seven. I, I had Braves in seven. I'm hoping it's faster than that at this point. But other than that, I'm good. Yeah. No, I, I did want to one not related necessarily to the on-field tonight, but there was a, a very nice tribute to Hank Aaron. Oh, yeah. Uh, in the pregame um, with his family on the field. It was a beautiful moment. And I, I have not watched the clip myself, but it sounds like somebody asked – uh, Brian Snitker in the post game about that moment. And he, he teared up a little bit too. So um, it was a, a very nice and, and beautiful tribute to just a, an incredible human being and baseball player and, and really just humanitarian and ambassador of the game. Um, so I did want to at least mention, we would be remiss to not mention that very, very nice moment um, pregame. And, and again, it was, uh, it was very well-deserved and, and, how beautiful for the Braves to be in the world series, to be able to give Hank Aaron and his family, the stage they deserve uh, with that tribute before the game tonight. I'm glad you said that. Uh, it was such a long time ago, now, but uh, it's off my radar. We're, we're getting baseball mode, but that's a great yeah. point that you put that out there. And that's 
Um, you know, also, you know, I know he's the opposite, the opposing manager, but having Dusty Baker and Brian Snicker managing this series, both of whom had direct, like, close friendships with Hank Aaron is pretty crazy, actually, because um, most guys are not that age that are managing. And mm-hmm. they're, sure. they're actually, they, these two guys have combined to be the oldest managerial duo in a World Series ever. I saw mm-hmm. that the other day. And again, like Dusty, Dusty Baker and Brian Snicker are like we're like legitimately tight friends with Hank Aaron and yeah. know the family. And Dusty came out there to hug the family unprompted before the game. Like it's, yeah. it's a pretty cool moment. And uh, yeah, all that stuff uh, shouts to the Atlanta hammers and all of that stuff as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a good place to leave it on this evening. Uh, lots of good vibes coming out of Truist park. Um, we were not watching the post game as we were talking on this podcast, but uh, every interview clip or comment or quote that I have read during this podcast has been uh, very loose and upbeat. It seems like the Braves are feeling good right now as they should be. Um, but this is a group that seems to be having a lot of fun. There's not like a, you know, you don't want to get tight and the Braves don't seem to be tight, which is awesome. No. <laughs> it helps when you have Guillermo Heredia and Jock Peterson and just being Luke, Luke being Jackson legends. and God knows. Yes. Yeah. God knows what else happening in that, in that clubhouse every night. Um, <laughs> Oh boy! But yes, it's hopefully been a they, don't go to, they don't go to the battery because the battery, I'm sure, will not be shut down until 4 a.m. or something. Well, tonight. I was gonna say, I'm sure it is crazy. Again, we're recording this late Friday night, early Saturday morning. Um, I can only imagine that it's going to be an absolute zoo. And honestly, if if people want to get there, I mean, how early are people showing up to the battery on Saturday? Are people oh, getting there at like yeah. 11 to camp yeah. out and like? Oh, almost certainly. Have, I mean, the thing yeah. is, I, I know I, the battery's not for everybody that's that doesn't live here, but you could go there and just be in a bar slash restaurant from 11 AM on tomorrow, like very easily. Um, I know firsthand a lot of people that did not have tickets that just went to the battery tonight. And I'm sure it will be nuts on a Saturday. Like I can't, I mean, it was, it was crazy. That was crazy there today. I can't imagine what's going to be on Saturday. So yeah, the scene will be set. Um, Same start time, that 809 sweet spot for everybody. Uh, It's great for Scott. The 509. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, the sweet spot, except for people who podcast after four hour baseball games. But yeah, I get it. you need to listen to uh, start praying for Eric right now. Eric's joining me tomorrow night. At least that's, that's the schedule. And Eric's on the East Coast, um, as am I, of course. But lots of coffee. Uh, the coffee IV will be needed for Eric. And I'm sure it'll be like a 12 inning game tomorrow night just to top things off. But Scott, I appreciate your service, my friend. You'll be back um, for, I think, for game five. We talked about that, right? Yeah. Um, as, as we plan here on the live of the podcast. But Thank you, sir. Please plug yourself. I know we have some new listeners. We're, our numbers have been great. So thanks to everybody for listening, but please plug your stuff and how they can find you. Yep. Thanks everybody. We really do appreciate all of your support and tuning in. Uh, be sure to check out talkingchop.com. Uh, the amount of content that's being pushed out every day by Chris Willis and the team is, is quite honestly, and this is not hyperbole, it is unmatched. And that is not by accident. That is very much an intentional effort. And hey, it's it's a lot of fun to be a fan of a team when they're in the World Series. Uh, so we really do appreciate everyone checking out the podcast and the site. Uh, Twitter is always a good time. Scott Coleman fifty five on there, uh, where I cheer on my my. Uh, I'm a lifelong, in addition to a lifelong Atlanta Braves fan, uh, the Atlanta Hawks are my uh, are my go to as Brad Atlanta Hawks. That's yes. right. I'm all in on Atlanta. I'm, um, I'm already looking forward to uh, Saturday night where I'm covering the Hawks game tomorrow night. And I, I could already tell you that Braves fans will be screaming at me behind tweeting about the Hawks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Write that I, down might, right I might be one of them. Yeah. Listen, I, I will try to keep it to a minimum, but I have to do my job. I you got it. Buddy. To cover the team. Yeah. Um, anyway, 
thank you to Scott. Um, please follow me if you'd like to at BT Roland. Follow the site as uh, Scott laid out. It's been very busy and it will continue to be so under Chris's, Chris's leadership. Also, thanks to Eric and Sean Coleman. Sean posted a, a new podcast yesterday. It was very, very good in terms of previewing tonight's game and uh, wall-to-wall content on this podcast network. Subscribe via the platform of your choice. Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, Odyssey, Spotify, you choose. We're probably there. And if we're not, let me know that. I'll get it fixed and we'll have the podcast wherever we can uh, have that um, if it's available to us. So thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll see you after the game on Saturday. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts.